chapter 3. Uh, if you don't have a Bible, there should be maybe a blue hardback one around you somewhere. You can grab one of those. Uh, if you don't own a Bible and you want to take the nice blue one, go for it. Uh, if you want to give some away, there are some paperback ones in that resource desk out in the lobby that you can grab as many of as you want. Um, there are more of those. If you are like, oh, I need to hand out Bibles to all my neighbors, I'm going to find you some Bibles to hand out. So uh, feel free to take those paperback ones, as many as you want, use them, uh, give them out, um, whatever you want to do. So, But we'll be in Colossians chapter 3, verse 1. Uh, maybe you're not familiar with the Bible. There's a table of contents. You can find out the page number of the book of Colossians, and then big numbers are chapters, small numbers are verses. So Colossians 3, verse 1. All right, so we're in week two of our four-week series, The Fourfold Gospel, which is spanning over five weeks. I want to say thanks to Stephen and to everybody who allowed me to uh, basically bask in the Florida sun last week while you guys were here uh, in Maryland. So um, it was pretty cool the first day we got there, but it was almost 90 degrees the day we left, and uh, I'm glad to be home. Um, saw a little snow yesterday, but not, nothing stuck to the ground, so no sledding yet, but um, glad to be back. And so we are in the second of the four of the fourfold gospel uh, weeks, and so today we are hitting uh, what is called the laver, which is that like cup-looking thing uh, that's actually like a wash basin. And so today we're going to cover sanctification uh, and so this fourfold idea, if you remember this, or you're an alliance, died in the wool alliance person, um, this idea came from the founder of our denomination, uh, uh, Dr. A.B. Simpson, Albert Benjamin Simpson, um, and he uh, founded the CMA in the late 1870s. So this is a uh, well-developed idea. And so this is really just his way of expressing what in all other traditions of Christianity would be called Christology. Uh, it's just our understanding of who Jesus is. And so as an alliance church... One of our core things that we believe, one of the distinctives that makes us an Alliance Church is that we believe Jesus is our Savior, Sanctifier, Healer, and Coming King. And so uh, the, these first two, the Savior and Sanctifier, pretty normal within kind of the broader evangelical world. We don't believe anything different than anybody else does. We might use different words. But as we get to Healer and Coming King, we might have some distinctives. Uh, so I just want to encourage you to be here for those two as we uh, get to next week and the week after that. And so... We covered Jesus, our Savior. Today, we're going to walk through this big Bible word of sanctification. So I just want to do some review from a couple weeks ago, uh, because I know, you know, I don't even remember what I said uh, when I leave on Sunday, so I know that we need some review sometime. And so um, we talked about Jesus as our Savior, and there's kind of two big ideas that I just want to make sure we really understand as we move on. So the, the first idea is justification. Uh, and the, the kind of cheesy Sunday school way, well, not cheesy, I don't mean to offend anybody, but if this is how you remember it, this is good. It's just as if I had never sinned, right? Justification is one way to think about it, and that maybe falls a little short, but it's a good way to remember what justification is. And so conjure up in your head the idea of a courtroom where a judge has the authority to declare you guilty or not guilty, uh, and so we said a couple weeks ago that God is good in every possible way, right? There is no darkness in him at all, is the way the scriptures put it. And so God is good in every possible way, and God has created everything, uh, and he intended it to be good. Uh, and so he created us as well in his image, and if he is good and we're made in his image, he made us to be and to do good. Uh, and so his intention for humanity, his intention for you, which is still his intention, 
is that you would be a person who is doing and who is good. And so God set Adam and Eve, the first two humans, uh, in this perfect setting, and he gives them one command to follow, right? He tells them one thing. And parents, you know how this goes, right? I just told you to do one thing, and you couldn't do it. Uh, And so Adam and Eve, because of the deception of the serpent in the Garden of Eden, rebelled against God. And when they rebelled against God, they welcomed into the perfect shalom of the creation that God had created, uh, sin and destruction. And so it fractured everything in the created order forever. There's three main relationships we talk about being broken. Our relationship to God, our relationship to one another, uh, but also our relationship to creation itself. Uh, Those things are broken. And so all the goodness and peace that God wove into the created order was broken. And so as descendants of Adam and Eve, Adam is our first father, the scriptures would say, we inherit from birth the rebellion that entered when Adam and Eve chose to rebel against God. And if you're like, I don't think kids are rebellious from birth, go work in the nursery. Okay, (laughs) the last few weeks with my kid. Um, and, And you'll see that their first thing they think to do is violence with each other as little ones. And so we're rebellious from birth. That doesn't mean that we're not created to be good. We are good. And of course, I love my kids, right? And you love yours. But they are rebellious. Uh, And so as descendants, we inherit that. Now, we pointed out uh, last time that we're not, we are not just simple victims of this rebellion. We are not just simple victims of the fall of sin, right? We are in glad participation in it. The scriptures teach us Uh, that we are um, in in glad uh, participation in this rebellion and that our sort of posture to God is that we hold God uh, at enmity, that we hold God, we are hostile in our minds towards God until he comes uh, to rescue us in Jesus. And so we said that God's response towards this rebellion is justice. God will respond in justice and that takes the form of his wrath against sin. And so the reality is that all of us have rebelled against God, and what we deserve is his wrath. That is what the scriptures teach. Apart from Jesus, we live in a state of hostility towards God, because in our sin, we have looked God in his face, like some of your kids have looked you in the face, and said, no, I want to do what I want to do. That's what sin is, right? And so that's why we have a broken relationship with God, and in many places, a broken relationship even with ourselves and with other people. And so Jesus then, it was going to get good now, Jesus steps into this mess as our Savior, and he does for us what we cannot do for ourselves. Uh, One of the most important things that you will ever hear from a preacher, myself or any other preacher, is that someone will tell you the truth that you cannot save you. You cannot save yourself. You are unqualified and you are unable to fix the brokenness that's inside of you, but Jesus has what it takes, and he has brought it to you on offer. And so he, he came, and he becomes fully human as a baby. We don't think he was like God in a man's suit. No, he was fully human. He lived the perfect life according to every command God has for humanity, uh, and he died the death that we as rebels deserved to die. And so that's not the end of the story, though. He was raised to new life, showing what? That he had paid the price in full for sin, thereby being your savior. He had conquered sin and death. And so he becomes our savior and we gain his eternal life by something really, really simple. We place our trust, our faith 
in this Jesus, in this reality that by his life, death, and his resurrection that we can be made right before God. We can be justified before God. This is what the big idea of justification is. This is why Jesus is our Savior, that in the moment you place faith in Jesus, in that moment, God, the righteous judge, looks on you and declares you not guilty, even though you're guilty. But he declares you not guilty, and he has the authority to declare you not guilty, and he's made right and just to declare you not guilty because someone has paid the price for which you owed, which is Jesus on your behalf. And so what's important to remember is that the only thing you bring to justification is the sin that made it necessary. That's what you bring to salvation, the sin that made God need to do it. And so you can't save yourself, and you did absolutely nothing to bring God's justification to you. Absolutely nothing. You have nothing to boast in. Now, another part of Jesus' work in being our Savior is not just justification, right? Which is, gosh, we need justification. But God doesn't just stop there. He goes beyond that, and he not only absorbs God's wrath towards us, Jesus absorbs God's wrath towards us in his life, death, and resurrection, but he goes beyond that and takes us from being an enemy into being adopted into God's family. And so we see in the Scriptures that because of Jesus, we have been given the legal status. The, the Bible says you've been given the right to become children of God. Uh, Romans 8.15 says it this way, For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit, capital S, the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. And if you were here for our series in the Lord's Prayer, that is extra meaningful now, hopefully. So God has done something. Uh, he has gone from being someone that we have held at arm's length in hostility to being our Father who we call Abba. And so this means that when you place your faith in Jesus, you have access to God in a way that's mind-blowing, right? I love this. I've used this quote a bunch of times. This is Timothy Keller, pastor from New York. He says this, The only person who dares to wake up a king at 3 a.m. for a glass of water is his child. We have that kind of access. God loves you, and he has placed on the table this morning the offer of a new life in Jesus. Not a kind of fixed up version of the life you got now, but a brand new one. A new life in Jesus where you go from being his enemy because of your sin to being his son, his daughter because of Jesus' work. So Jesus as our Savior brings to us justification, being made right with God. But then beyond that, he brings to us adoption into the family of God where we're not, you know, you're not just tolerated by God. That's not your status if you know and love Jesus. You're not just in the house, but not really at the table. Oh, no, no, no. You're the apple of his eye. You are beloved sons and daughters. So as I said uh, this week, we're going to look at the idea of sanctification, and it's kind of the next step. It's a vitally important, but I don't even want to say next step because it's all kind of melded together. It's a vitally important idea and doctrine for the life of Christians, but there, it has a distinct difference from the idea of justification or the idea wrapped up in salvation. And here's what we have to remember as we talk about these things. Justification and adoption, your salvation, are totally God's work and they happen in a moment. They are totally God's work and they happen in a moment. It's God's declaration over you. You are justified and adopted and that's, it's done. Salvation is instant. It's totally God's work. You did nothing to gain salvation. You are saved through the work of Jesus alone. 
So in that moment of salvation, God looks at you and he sees you as perfect and as righteous. You have a position of being holy. You are positionally holy in that moment. You are what God has said that you are, right? Think of it. I've used this example before. I'm about to start coaching baseball this week. So excited uh, to be on a baseball field. Um, And right, imagine a baseball team in which there are no cuts and in which you can't be kicked off the team for bad play once you're on, right? So God has said, hey, you're this opening day starting pitcher, but you're not. But he said you are, and he gives you the uniform. He puts you on the lineup card. He goes out to the umpires, and he says, this is my starting pitcher before the game, right? So now what are you set free to do? You're set free to actually become what he has said that you are because the threat of being removed from the team is, is gone. To put it back into theological terms, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. The law now has no threat of hell over you. So you can walk in, free, in, in freedom, almost said freeness, that's not a word. You can walk in freedom and become what God has declared you to be. So it's super important for us to remember that God never, some of you really need to hear this, God never ever wishes he hadn't saved you. Like if you know and love Jesus and you're like anybody else who knows and loves Jesus, you have faltered and failed and and tried and tried again, and God never regrets it. He never regrets it. He's not annoyed with you because he chose to love you. He loves you, and he never will give up on making you more and more like Jesus. And we, we can't get this backwards. So many times we get this backwards. We, we think that it's our effort that makes God like us enough to save us. Well, if I clean myself up enough, then God will save me. No, you've got it backwards. God will save you in the middle of your mess, and then he will walk with you in that mess and begin to see your life be transformed. He saves us and loves us, and that's what allows us to actually become more like Jesus. Jesus is the one who initiated the relationship, and he is the one who says, if that's not true, then what Paul said in Galatians 6 is false. Paul says this, but far be it for me to boast except... In my good works, right? No, that's not what he says. Except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, by which the world has been crucified to me. That's mortification. We're going to get to that. Remember that word. And I to the world. For neither circumcision counts for anything, nor uncircumcision, but a new creation. What's he saying there about circumcision? It's not about the outward signs. It's about a new life that God gives you inside. And so it's not external behavior that makes God like us enough to save us. Praise God for that. If it was, then we might have something other than Jesus to brag about, right? Because some of us can act better than others of us. Huh? Yeah. You rule followers are like, yeah, I know, right? Some of us can follow rules really good. And if that was how it happened, all of us would be measuring each other on how many rules did you follow. And I got in when I was 15 and it took you till you were 40, oh, right? But Paul says you have nothing to boast in except the cross. The only thing you have to brag about is Jesus. So God wants more for us than to have just a position on the team. He's not satisfied with you being on the team but riding the bench. No, he wants you to become the best version of what he made you to be. He wants to conform you to the image of his son, 
Jesus. He wants to make you like Jesus. He, he wants more for you than just your potential holiness. He wants more for you than just your positional holiness. He wants for you actual holiness. He, he wants more for you than to have the potential to be a person of love, joy, and peace. He wants you to actually be that because he's good and he loves you. So the question is how, and the answer to that is sanctification. Thank you for asking. I have a bunch of notes. Okay, Colossians 3. Some of you are just laughing. What? Colossians 3. I know, I heard some of you flip to Galatians. Like, wait, did he? No, Colossians. Verse 1 of chapter 3. If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above, where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Okay, so we needed to stop quick. We got to reemphasize who this is being written to in light of Jesus, our Savior, from a couple weeks ago, and who can actually pursue sanctification. What does he say? If then you have been raised with Christ. So sanctification is for Christians. It is for people who have been raised to new life, who have had their, 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 their resurrection life begin with Jesus. If you have been raised with Christ. So sanctification is not for everyone. Can other people get better? Of course. Have you been to a bookstore? It's all self-help. But Christian sanctification is for those who have been raised with Christ, those who have been justified and adopted by God. Okay, verses one to four. If then you've been raised with Christ, what? Seek the things that are above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on earth, for you have died. You are not your old self. You have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Right? So did you, I just want to point this out. Did you catch adoption in there? Your life is hidden with Christ in God. You are adopted. You are in the family of God. Your life is now identified as part of God's life. You are in his family. But then he keeps going because the Bible takes a turn now. So if you've been raised with Christ, your, your life is found in Christ. Now, here's where we take a turn into sanctification. Put to death, therefore. Okay? You've got to ask this question, what's the therefore, therefore? What it's here to do is to tell you, hey, all that stuff is true, and now here's how you apply it. Here's what it means for you. Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you. Sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. On account of these, the wrath of God is coming. Now, let me just point this out because I, don't, I haven't heard this taught very much, and I think it's helpful like some of these, we, we understand what they are, right? Sexual immorality, got it, know what that is. Impurity, I think I understand what that is. What's passion? Well, that just means that you're ruled by your stomach, so to speak. That you just go with whatever you want to go with. That's an earthly thing in you. Verse 7. In these, okay, before any of you start feeling good about your religious self, in these you too once walked. When you were living in them. But now you must put them all away. Anger, wrath, malice, slander, obscene talk from your mouth. Do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator, who is what? Jesus. 
So, so what we have here is a blueprint for how the Trinity, God the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, are actually going to help us become not just holy in position, but actually holy in how we live our lives. Some of you have been around people like this. Some of you are people like this in our church. You're actually holy. And you're like, man, you've been around Jesus a little bit, right? You've been around a person like that, I hope. It's going to take, here's the difference between salvation and sanctification. It takes effort from us, driven by God's grace and acceptance of us through the work of Jesus. That's why sanctification can't happen before salvation. So justification and adoption happen in an instant, and they're totally the work of God. You did nothing to save yourself, but sanctification takes some effort from us. God has invited us to be part of his process to make us like Jesus. You have agency in this. Now, way back in the day, there was a group of Christians who were called Puritans. They were not perfect. They had some heinous things they believed, but they had some other good ideas. And one of those uh, was a couple of words that I want to use today for our purpose. The first word that the Puritans would have used is vivification. Now, if I was a little more Pentecostal, I'd say, say it with me, vivification, but I'm not, so don't. This is the idea of bringing things to life or enlivening things, right? So, so for what we're talking about this morning, this means doing things that sort of just cause you to fall in love with Jesus and with God. Some of you know what I mean. For some of us, it's like certain worship songs in the car. Or for me, it's concerts, like really good concerts. You're just like, I don't know what happens there. But something about that just makes me love God. Like, it's, I don't know what it is, right? And for some of you, it's good books. Whatever that is, do those things that bring to life that new person that Jesus has created you to be. Look at it again, Colossians 3, 2. Set your minds on the things above. So that is vivification, intentionally putting your minds on things that cause us to grow into more love for Jesus. And don't think this just means intellectual exercise, although it does mean that. It doesn't just mean that. It means everything about who you are. Romans 12, 2 says the same thing, kind of a different way. Don't be conformed to this world, but be transformed by what? The renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. So how do we start to see transformation take place in our lives. This again takes us back to something we've covered before. One of the main ways that Jesus will sanctify us is by speaking to us through his word and by us taking time each day to be with him through his word and through just sometimes silence. So what am I saying? I'm saying if you want to grow in your sanctification, this is going to be a brand new idea. You've never heard of the church before. You need to spend time in your Bible and praying and spending time with Jesus. It's not a new idea, right? It's the old song. Read your Bible, pray every day, and Tom, you'll what? You'll grow, grow. I I thought you would know that song. Oh, good. All right. So if you want to grow in your sanctification you got to spend time with Jesus. If you want to look more like your shepherd Jesus, you got to spend time with him. And the two most probably distinctly Christian ways to do that are to read the scriptures, to study the scriptures, and to pray in pursuit of deepening your relationship with Jesus, to set your minds on the things that are above. Now, most of us who've been around the church for even like a few weeks are immediately going to do this. We're going to go, oh, cool. So I just need to read the Bible, memorize some Bible verses, and I'll just automatically get better. No, that's not what I'm saying. Of course, 
memorizing the Bible is a good thing. It's evidence of maybe us wanting more Jesus. But the problem with thinking that way is that you're thinking of the Bible and you're thinking of Jesus as some kind of magic potion for you to get something other than Jesus. If what you're after is behavior modification, you're not actually after Jesus. And so the problem with that is Jesus actually rebuked men who had huge sections of the Bible memorized because they had it memorized, but they missed the part of it where that was a means to an end. Jesus is the end. Everything leads to Jesus. He's the end of it. The Bible is a means to that end. It is a holy inspired means to that end. But the Bible isn't the point. The Bible points to the one who is, right? And that's Jesus. And so vivification is us making the effort to fill our hearts and minds with the things of Jesus and choosing to create new habits in our lives. This is what we would call spiritual practices or spiritual disciplines that help us to increase our love for Jesus and our desire for him. It's not what gets us to Jesus, but once we know and trust Jesus, it is how we become more and more of what Jesus wants for us. And this is a hard one because these things, these spiritual disciplines or vivification or setting your minds, they're not always going to be amazing in the moment that you're doing them. Sometimes it's going to take you journaling for a year, right? I went through this practice. I don't, I've kind of fallen off, but there was a season where I journaled every day in my prayer life for a year. And at the end of that year, people started saying things to me like, man, you're like a lot more patient than I remember you being. And I thought, how impatient was I? But they said things like that to me. And that's vivification. That's sanctification beginning to happen. It's not like I noticed it while I was journaling in those moments, but it took time and I I practiced and Jesus was faithful in that. So that's vivification. Uh, And and the the second word I want to look at is mortification. Now, if vivification was bringing things to life, mortification is putting things to death. Okay. Some of you use this. I was mortified. That's the same root word, right? Literally, it means in this setting, it means murder your sin. Put it to death. Don't play with your sin. And here's what's very important to know is that these don't happen separately. Vivification and mortification happen together at the same time. So this passage in Colossians is clear that there are things in us as Christians that need to die. Look at the list. Sexual immorality impurity, passion, evil desire, covetousness, anger, wrath, malice, slander, obscene talk from your mouth, and lying. Like, it's just, those are clear. Put those to death. And so as we continue to fill our minds and our hearts up with the things of God, those things that once held us will soon be less and less attractive to us. I don't know if you've experienced this, but this is true. So here are two questions for us. What are the obvious sins in my life that just plain need to die? What are the things that I'm just walking in right now as a Christian that I know are wrong and I just need to stop doing them, right? If this was, uh, if I was a more Old Testament-y type of guy, I would start standing up here and yelling, repent, right? What are the things that you need to just quit doing and repent and turn away from? Is it sexual immorality? Is it some kind of impurity? Is it an angry, wrathful spirit that you need to just stop giving life to? But then, 
What are the more subtle sins in my life that I need to watch out for so I can spot them and kill them? What are the sins that are crouching at my door ready to destroy me? Are you playing around with a secret sin? It's not going to be a secret forever. And it will have consequences. So repent now. Bring it to the light now. Vivification is bringing things to life. Mortification is putting things to death. And they go together. You want to start having a new habit where you walk with Jesus? You're going to have to not do something else. That's just the reality of life. So, there are things in the life of a Christian that just need to plain die, and there are sins that as Christian, we just need to stop, and the Bible is explicit about that, right? We just looked at a list of some of those. It's almost like the opposite list of the fruit of the Spirit. Put these to death and enliven these things. So to close, I don't want to just start giving you a list of do's and don'ts, right? Some of us who like to follow rules are like, oh man... But instead, what I want to show you is just two principles that I think are here in this text that give us a place to start as we pursue sanctification in our own lives. Okay, so the first thing I want you to notice about how our sanctification takes place is just seen by taking note of who this text is written to in Colossians. Does this seem to be written to an individual or a larger group? It's written to a larger group, okay? I have in my notes, wait for response. I didn't wait long enough. This text is written to a church. Maybe some of you like older translations of the Bible, uh, and you would see that this, is, this book is titled Paul's Letter to the Church at Colossae. So this is written to a church intended and, and thought it would be read aloud to this church family as they gathered together. So I think the way that it's written shows us that the Bible has assumptions about our ability to grow in our sanctification and that the Bible is assuming that it's happening in community with other Christians. Now, we don't always like this because we like to keep ourselves a little walled off from one another. We, like to, we, we value the ability to pull ourselves up by our bootstraps, and believe me, there's value in that. But the American Christian version of this is uh, that we think we can grow in our sanctification with just Jesus and me. Oh, just me and Jesus going to handle this. Yeah, 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 it's a secret sin. I'm not repenting. I'm not confessing, like the Bible says all over the New Testament to do. But just me and Jesus can handle this by ourselves. We don't actually need the church. Uh, we're good. And so the Bible's assumption is, though, that in order for you to grow, you will be in community in every aspect of your life with others who are children of God. And the most obvious way that that happens is in the local church. Right? I see some of you turning your heads. Yes, that is why we have that as part of our core values. We will live in community with other followers of Jesus because we think that's how this works. But this one's hard because we like to make our own rules. We like to do our own thing, right? Listen to verses 12 to 17. Put on then as God's chosen one, holy, chosen ones, holy and beloved, justified and adopted. There it is. Compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another, and if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other as the Lord has forgiven you, so you must also forgive. And above all these, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony, and let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body, and be thankful. 
Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. And whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Now look at the, how the Bible assumes that we will need to practice forgiveness and need to bear with one another, right? The Bible is clear that we don't just push away when things don't go our way, we don't get what we want. Most of us have wrong thinking when it comes to this in our relationships. And this is what the world is telling you to do right now. And it's destroying us, right? Look at the state of mental health going on right now. And then also look at what we're being told to do. Oh, if someone doesn't agree with your truth, break that relationship and ghost them, right? It ain't working. It's not good for us. The, the Bible is telling us we need to do the opposite of just pushing away from the table when people don't change their Like, I disagree with this person, and until they change their minds, then we can get along. But until then, I'm not going to talk to them. I'm not going to talk to them about that, or maybe not at all. But the Bible is saying in the community of faith, we need the opposite of that. What if instead of thinking that way, we begin to ask ourselves, Lord, what, what are you showing me about my own heart because of this disagreement? And how can I bring to life what you have said is true about me in my salvation. What if that's the way we begin to think about this? We need to be close enough to one another that we will need to bear with one another. You can keep people at enough arm's length that you never have to bear with them, and they never have to bear with you, and you won't grow. You can keep people far enough away that you'll never have to forgive them, and they'll never have to forgive you, and you'll never grow in forgiveness. If we keep each other at arm's length spiritually, we will not need to do those things and we won't grow that the way Jesus desires us to grow. And so I'm pleading with you as your pastor, as a leader in the, in the church, to not let the fear of what someone in this church or the church will think of you, uh, don't let that keep you from pursuing real hard community because you are only hurting yourself. And some of you have experienced this. You went through a season where you held someone at arm's length and then you come back together and you realize, wow, the relationship in my own health is better on the other side of reconciliation than it was before. I've experienced that many times in relationships. You are taking yourself, if you walk away, you know, so often today we, we hear people talking about how we don't, I don't need the church to follow Jesus, right? And I don't need to go home to be married. But that's weird. That doesn't work. You do need the church. It's the body of Jesus. And not only do you need the church, the church needs you. You play a vital part in the community aspect of what we are doing together as a body. And so um, you're taking yourself out of the God-ordained place where sanctification grows. And here's a, the hard truth that we all have to deal with. Uh, obviously, you guys know when I'm speaking up here, I'm preaching to myself as well. But we are not spiritual enough to solve our own issues on our own. We just ain't. We're not. We need other people around us. We need other people who maybe walk through the same thing as us, maybe a little bit older than us, to be like, hey, it's going to be okay. And we might need somebody who's a little younger than us and a little more passionate than us to say, hey, but pursue the right thing. We need the community of faith. You need your church family. So that's the first kind of principle is to think about your sanctification. You need community. You need this. This right here, you need it. Now, the second principle plays into this, but it's probably the single hardest, most important piece to sanctification. Verse 9, do not lie to one another. 
Now, I think, of course, this is talking about, hey, don't lie. Yeah. But I think underneath this, if we think about sanctification, th this is, uh, you, you guys who've been with me for a while know this disease that I like to talk about, right? What's the disease that we, do, we experience in church? We walk up to one another and go, hey, how you doing? I'm, I'm fine. And you might not be fine. That's what I think is, is here under the surface. Don't lie to each other like that. Don't play the game of wearing a mask. Because you'll wear the mask of, I want to look more sanctified than I am, which stops you from actually becoming sanctified. That's what happens. It's so hard and it's so easy to look over. But I think this is the thing many times that keeps us from actually getting anywhere when it comes to becoming more like Jesus. You know, we, we just play the I'm fine game. That's a lie we need to get rid of. And the truth is, so often, and, and just in general, if you ask me how are you, and we have a moment where I can be honest with you, I'm not totally fine. Like, I, I might be having a good day. The joy of the Lord is my strength. I'm at church. I'm happy. But the truth is, I'm not where I want to be. I want to pursue Jesus more. I, I might still be, ha have some greed going on. I'm deceptive. I have anger in my heart. I have wickedness in my heart. But if I continue to lie and play this game with my brothers and sisters, I continue to hide from them. And here's what happens when you hide. You never experience love because you know that you're hiding. If you know that you're hiding, then any community love that people give towards you, you're able to go, yeah, but they don't really know me. Well, let them know you then. Let them know you. And so what happens is we're never able to fix our eyes on Jesus because our eyes are too focused on making sure that you don't find out things about me because then what will you think? But here's the thing, like, right? If we think about Jesus, our Savior from a couple weeks ago, he already knows. He literally died for you for that. He knows how messed up we are on the inside, and he did it anyway, and we all know that because I just read to you the Bible that just said we're not perfect, right? It was written to a church much like ours, filled with people, and it said, hey, you're going to bug each other, you're going to let each other down, forgive one another, bear with one another. And so this is great news. Why? Because it means you can take a rest from trying to look spiritual or cool or whatever, and you can just be you. You, you can take a rest from trying to look more put together than we are, and we can just be who we actually are and walk with one another as we walk with Jesus. We can tell each other the truth that because God already knows about our sins and still accepts us, we can do the same with one another. So don't lie to one another if you want to be sanctified in Jesus, our sanctifier. So as we go out from here and as we go on with our lives this week, here's my little challenge to you for this week. As you spend time this week in your Bible reading plan or whatever it is and in prayer, and yes, I'm assuming that you're doing that. I want to encourage you to do that. You're spending time pursuing Jesus through those means. I want you to spend particular time in some prayer this week asking Jesus to show you where there might be areas of sin in your life, not just that you confess to him there, but that you bring other members of your community of faith into so that they can begin to, to participate and partner with Jesus as he sanctifies us more and more. Like there's nothing more that the elders here and myself as the pastor want than for us to be moving towards Jesus in our relationship with him. Third John 1.4 says it like this, I have no greater joy than to hear that my children are walking in the truth. 
that there's nothing that can be a greater joy to, to all of us and to those of us who are trying to lead here as best we can to know that we are making, each of us is making progress towards being what Jesus has called us to be. And some of us are a lot further along than others of us, but the point is moving towards Jesus. It's not about checking boxes off and who's at step 20 and who's at step five. It's about what direction are you heading? Are you heading away from Jesus or by his grace because of his salvation through sanctification? Are you moving towards him and becoming like him? Let me pray. Jesus, we thank you for uh, your spirit that lives in us. We thank you that you haven't, Father, you haven't given us a spirit of fear, but you've given us a spirit of adoption. That we can have confidence to know that we can grow into what you have said that we are. We are your children. So would you make us a people who look like the children of the king? That we're not afraid because we know who our king and our dad is. And we're kind because we don't have to defend ourselves. And we love those around us because we were first loved. And so would you help us to grow in what it means to be a follower of your son, Jesus. And Holy Spirit, we invite you to fill us in the way that you do. We know that you're with us always, but fill us in the unique way that you do when we've gathered together uh, as we go out from here. We pray this in your name, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen.